Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be coming at you with another solo episode today. I hope you're enjoying these. We will be bringing back interviews soon, but with the end of the quarter and all the company kickoffs happening now, my guest schedule, my own schedule, everything just keeps changing. And so instead, I'm bringing you the latest of Humans of SaaS related news and, op and opinions that I get to record whenever I can find the time in the week, as I'm sure so many of you can relate to. But I'm excited about this week's topics because I'm covering some really key things that I think we'll all really care a lot about. One is which inflation, in particular, the impact of inflation on wages and companies giving or not giving company-wide pay increases, something that I'm seeing more and more of. Also covering Bolt founder and CEO Ryan Breslow's resignation after a tirade on Twitter and a poll of 2,000 UK employees who had been working from home that showed that only 41% were willing to raise mental health concerns with their manager. Uh, not so good. So a uh, mix of good news and bad news and some interesting stuff today. So excited to start off with inflation. You have been hearing about it everywhere. Do not worry. I'm not going on some sort of anti-government tirade um, or, you know, COVID or lockdowns. I'm nuts. Not what I'm tackling. But I do think it's an important issue as it relates to how we all work and compensation and raises and, and that whole can of worms. So the Labor Department reported last Friday that worker pay increased 4% in one year, which was the fastest rate in two decades, which prompted alarm that the US was facing a, a widespread wage price spiral. This is the official term that they use. And that's when higher wages push up prices, which leads to demand for still higher wages and so on, right? So we have inflation and then people dem demand more money and then wages go up and then people, it, it, it's sort of a cyclical thing is, is the idea. Um, and it's true to some extent. We have been seeing higher salaries across the board in tech. Also, just a lot of companies in, in general have been giving out raises. But the wage price spiral idea has some key flaws, as the Wall Street Journal points out, because they're not looking at real wages, meaning the actual value of those wages. They're just looking at the number. So prices increased 7% last year across the board, and wages only went up 4%. So that means that we actually had a real wage decrease of 3%. So unless you got a raise of at least 7% last year, you actually got a pay decrease. And that's what really people should be focusing on. It was interesting reading about this because one of the analyses I read was that also from the Wall Street Journal was they were talking about wages, this concept of wages being sticky, um, which it means that they usually only change once a year. For union jobs, it can be longer. But you know, for most of us working in an office job, a tech job, the norm is sort of once a year. Uh, and that's different from things like gas stations or stores that can change their price by, I mean, for gas stations, it's literally by the second or by the minute, or stores who can just print labels or change things every day if they needed to. Our, our salaries are not generally dynamic. They don't fluctuate with inflation. And I'm sure sometimes that's a good thing because if there's deflation or something, no one wants us saying, hey, we're going to you know, move your salary down. But in this case, when you have extreme inflation, that's that's bad for for us because it means that unless you're getting a raise, you know, you, you've actually gotten a pay decrease. But what happens is because there's that that stickiness of wages, it's actually inflation is actually good for businesses in the short term because there's a period where you know, their prices have gone up, but they're still paying the workers the same. And so depending on the business, that can actually be a benefit. But 
the opposite can be true as well. So for example, we all know about the Great Depression, stock market crash, 1929. What that led to was prices falling for the first three years. But because wages were sticky, the real pay of workers actually went up almost 11%. So people were technically earning more, or at least they had a lot more spending power in the first few years of the Great Depression. The problem with that was that those high wages pinched businesses' profits, which then prevented them hiring more people, which then drove unemployment to almost 25%, which then caused all these other issues and led to the horrible stuff that, that was the Great Depression. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. Jumping back from 1929 to, uh, to present day, you know, what should companies be doing? That's, that's really the question I wanted to dig into. Uh, so some companies have decided to give company-wide inflation bumps. Um, or merit increases, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, for example, at One Password, they just did a company-wide seven and a half percent comp increase across the board. Some other companies I know about are doing five percent, six percent. You know, there's still a lot of them are still in conversations. This is definitely a topic at all hands across the board, especially at larger companies. This is one of the most upvoted questions, and one of those companies is Google. So, the number one, it was the number one upvoted topic last week um, at an all hand company all hands meeting. Google leadership was asked if they would be giving out a company-wide inflation bump. And they said they would not be doing so. And their rationale was their own costs have gone up to hire people now because pe people are coming in and asking for a lot, a lot of money and prices have gone up across the board for goods and services, et cetera, et cetera. So fair enough, their, their costs have gone up and it would be obviously be a massive change to do a company-wide inflation bump at a company like Google, even if it was 5% or 7% or something like that. So they've come out and they've said they are not doing it. And I've talked to lots of people that are not happy that their companies are not doing it. And I've talked to people who just don't care. Although what I've sort of noticed as, a, as an anecdotal trend, at least, is that the people who don't care are people who have gotten more than a 7% increase in the last year. And the people who do care are ones who haven't gotten that. So they're hoping to still have it kept up with inflation. Also a fair perspective to have. I don't think there's a clear answer on this in terms of like one size fits all. I would never say that every company should be doing a company-wide, um, you know, 7% increase or every company should be doing a week of PTO or like I've said, not every company should be doing a four-day work week. There's always multiple factors to consider. But I do think that this is down to the individual. And I think at the end of the day, like, whether it's a raise based on your merit and your great work or whether it's a merit based on inflation, I think at the end of the day, you always have to be the one in your own corner. And if you're someone who hasn't gotten a raise in the last year, then that is definitely a conversation that you should have with your manager because you have a very easy reason. You can say, look, inflation made everything a lot more expensive in the last year. My compensation hasn't been increased at all, so I want to formally request a pay increase. If you have a good manager, they'll probably be receptive to that. They might say yes. They might say, let me see. They might say no. Either way, just remember that if they do say no, make sure you understand the reason why. O outside, is there an official comp review period and you know there's no changes in compensation as a company policy until then? Do they need to see better performance from you? Could you ask for more than a 7% compensation increase? Like why even chalk it up to inflation? If you feel like you've been doing amazing work, go in and ask for 15% and, and, and see what they say. Of course, I'm saying this if you haven't had an increase in, in the last year, because sometimes companies are great about coming to you and saying, hey, you've done great work, here's a raise. And often companies are like, yeah, well, we'll wait until they ask or we wait until we think they're going to leave and then we'll give them something. So 
you know, take your compensation into your own hands for sure. And I know it might feel awkward. It is an awkward conversation to go and ask someone for more money. But at the end of the day, again, like you have to be in your own corner because it's just so rare that, you know, you're going to have a manager who's going to be pushing for pay increases on your behalf. Like I said, if you get a no, follow it up and ask the question, okay, what would need to be true for this to happen? And like I said, it might be performance related, it might be company funding related, it might be situational, um, you know, and then you have to use your own judgment. Is this something, okay, did they give you a clear next step and a path towards getting that comp increase that you think is reasonable and doable? Or is it, you know, something company related that's out of their hands and out of your hands and it's sort of just like a crapshoot, in which case evaluate, you know, do you want to stay at that company? Do you want to go somewhere else? You know, there's all sorts of ways to evaluate it, but un unless you have the conversation, then you can't really make a judgment call about that. Personally, I just think companies should be giving raises way more often than they do. Um, but again, I don't think company-wide bumps make sense. It's a big expense. And to be honest, I don't think everyone at every company deserves an equal pay increase. Like I think str thinking strategically, if I was leading a company, I think it makes more sense to give larger raises to your top performers across all teams who you need to retain rather than giving a small raise to everyone. I think giving a small raise to everyone is much easier administratively. And, you know, in terms of like company politics, it's probably easier because it's more equal, but, you know, not everyone does equal work. So I don't think that's necessarily justified either. So it's a good conversation to have. And again, you know, in my purely hypothetical scenario, that's my own personal preference. But like I said, it's it, there's a lot of factors to weigh and, and it's definitely a conversation to have because if you don't have it as leadership right now, then your employees will have it for you and you don't want a, a virtual angry mob, you know, expecting an inflation bump and you not and your team not being prepared to give them a thoughtful and clear answer. hiring for my team at Catalyst. Do you know an incredible senior field marketer? Someone who's experienced in events, loves creating incredible experiences, is super organized because I am definitely not. Um, <laughs> so looking for someone to compliment that or offset that weakness of mine. Um, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from them. I'm looking for an incredible senior field marketer to join the community team at Catalyst. It is an incredibly exciting role. We have so many amazing plans coming in 2022 and beyond. Love your recommendations. Go to catalyst.io slash careers to check out more details. And you can reach out to me at ben at getcatalyst.io. Next up, following his fiery Twitter tirades, Bolt founder Ryan Breslow is no longer CEO of the company, and he says that's his choice. This is according to TechCrunch. Um, you know when they put, he says it's his choice in the headline of the article, it's probably not their choice. But hey, um, you know, going off TechCrunch here. You might remember me mentioning Bolt a few weeks ago in my list of companies that have four-day work weeks. Well, in this tweet storm, Breslow warned that rival Stripe and famed accelerator Y Combinator, YC, which counts Stripe among its biggest success stories, are quote-unquote mob bosses that will pull every power move imaginable to squash competitors. He backed this up by saying that one of those power moves is to keep any threat to Stripe out of YC, which he says rejected Bolt's application earlier. He also accused Stripe of co-running the link aggregator and message board that is owned by YC, Hacker News. 
and thus limiting how much attention Bolt received. He also accused Stripe of deliberately funding a direct competitor to Bolt at the same valuation that Bolt enjoyed at the time. Um, the last one is true. Um, they did do that, and that's completely fine. I mean, they're competitors, so I don't see the problem with that. Um, but I do think it's important to point out, as many other people did on Twitter, that Stripe does not have power over Hacker News, and YC has, in fact, funded at least two other payment startups that are very similar to Bolt um, in recent years. So all that being said, this has actually turned into quite a heated debate because there are many people that say that YC takes far more than it delivers. Uh, and so, you know, they were supporting Ryan Breslow and everything he was saying. And then there was obviously people on the other side. Personally, I'd, I'd say that, you know, YC is the same thing as taking money from a VC to start a company or going on a reality TV, TV show to get famous. It's a trade-off. Like you know, you know where you want to get to, and like there are, are things that you're going to have to give up, but you're also getting massive benefits, and it's your responsibility to be aware of what you're trading off. I've interviewed so many incredible bootstrap founders on this podcast of multi-million, multi-billion-dollar companies that they started with almost no money themselves, without taking VC money, and without necessarily joining something like Y Combinator. And you know, they made that decision because they were well aware of the trade-offs and they were like, I know this is gonna be harder and it might take longer and blah, 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 but you know, these things are really important to me. And on the flip side, I know, I mean, I work at a VC-backed company and I have lots of friends that have gone through YC with their companies that they're building now and they couldn't be happier because you know, they were able to accelerate, they were able to grow faster, they were able to do all these other things and get advice and things that they wouldn't have gotten as bootstrap founders. And so again, like I, I think it's good to have the discussion um, so that people understand what the trade-offs are. Nothing is a perfect golden ticket, um, but I don't think it's necessarily fair to, to paint them as mob bosses. Um, you know, it's, it's up to the founders to, to do their due diligence. Breslau also underscored that while he's officially handing off day-to-day -day management to Bolt, he's not going anywhere. That was, I think, his quote. Um, with, or his quote was, without going into specifics, I have a lot of votes in the company. So basically, he most likely has the majority of shares and controls the board. So he's still around. This is more like a, a change from the public perspective. And so you know, that's led to speculation on what, whether the outburst was genuine or whether it was frustration over the competition or whether it was just a publicity stunt. I wouldn't theorize which, you know, not knowing him personally or the, or the company super well, but I do think that this is a great example of someone trying to be inflammatory, um, regardless of what the purpose of that inflammatory, you know, approach was, and them thinking that the way to do well on social media is to take a hard line stance. You know, is a tweet is a tweet that says, you know, YC is good for some founders and terrible for other founders. Here's a 20 threads like that's not going to do nearly as well as a tweet that says, you know, YC are mob bosses. Here's a thread. You know, and that's one of the shit things about social media that hopefully we are all well versed in and well aware of now. But it's just not a good approach. Like I understand the thinking behind that, but the problem is that when you're catering to a hyper specific audience that's well informed, like most people in tech understand that things are nuanced and can't be simplified into a tweet like that. Like every, there, there's no, you know, nothing is all good and nothing is all terrible. And, you know, I, I mean, Twitter is not the place for nuanced opinions, I, I think, either. So that's the other problem. Um, you know, it's, it can be fine for discussions, but this is exactly what happens when people take hardline stances for the sake of driving likes and retweets or, you know, just sparking debate or, or hate and getting just more... Um, you know, more eyeballs. But, 
yeah, I would say that this probably wasn't how he hoped it would go. Um, anytime anyone's building a personal brand, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter, or Medium, whatever, I just, my opinion is always like, you need opinions. Like, you need to have a strong opinion. Don't just say nothing. But think through your opinion. Talk about it with other people. And the best posts, the best articles, the best tweets, capture the nuances in an extremely simple version. It's easy to take a stance like, you know, YC sucks or YC is amazing. But kind of both of those are incorrect and both of those are just are oversimplifications of the topic. The best stuff is stuff that takes some, a, a topic that people know is complex, like let's say taking VC money and then making it into something simple, boiling down, you know, a 10 page, something that could be a 10, 10 page research study into, you know, a few lines on LinkedIn or into a tweet. That's the stuff that people love because it's like, oh, you know, I never thought I could like I could say it that way or that's such a great way to explain it or that's such a great analogy like those are the things that do really well. So if you're trying to create buzz, get traction, you know, build a personal brand or build a company brand on social, I would say, you know, try to stay away from inflammatory hardline stances and try thinking about simple and punchy content that simplifies complex issues or simplifies how people feel about complex issues and that will give you much better traction. All that being said, I do want to point out that Bolt is actually doing really great as a company. They have a new leader and a CEO um, who everyone seems extremely excited for. There's a lot of potential. So this could actually have been the best thing for everyone. And, you know, maybe it will be. And maybe one day they'll be successful enough to drive Stripe CEO Patrick Collison to go on an angry tweet rampage, um, though he actually seems really chill. So I don't think he would ever do that. But who knows? Um, competition has a way of getting under the skin. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalysts today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. All right, the third and final section for today, BHSF, which is one of the largest health insurance companies in the UK, um, and I dug, I swear, I dug for like 20 minutes and could not find what it stands for. So uh, my apologies, but all I could find was BHSF. I could make up an acronym, but it would be completely wrong. All I could find was that BHSF is one of the largest health insurance companies in the UK. So they recently conducted a study of 2000 UK workers working from home and found out that just 41% of those polled said they would raise mental health concerns with their manager. Only a third or 36% would feel comfortable discussing physical health problems with their manager. And 28% would talk about financial concerns and only 22% would discuss grief. This is bad. I'm surprised that people are less likely to discuss physical health problems than mental health problems. Um, but let's dig into this a little bit uh, because I feel that I have to constantly remind myself that I'm in a bubble and that 99% of workplaces are not like mine and probably yours if you work at a forward-thinking startup and you have a, a good culture. I've definitely worked in the past for managers that I never would have brought up 
that sort of thing too. I once worked for a, a manager, and this was before work, long before COVID, and and you know the popularity of working from home. But I was still a tech company, and I was like, hey. I messaged them in the morning. I was like, hey, my partner's really sick. I'm worried I might have to take him to the hospital this afternoon. He's got a really bad flu. You okay if I work from home? And the response was, um, you're an adult. Grow up. Come into the office. And I think that was the, the moment that I was like, yeah, this is definitely not the right place for me. So, you know, I've, I've had experience with that. I obviously would never bring up any sort of mental health issues to a person like that. But now my manager is the first person that I tell. Um, and I attribute that to two elements. First being psychological safety, which is an external factor. And the other is me caring less what others, others think of me, which is an internal factor. So digging into those a little bit, um, psychological safety is an environmental factor. It, it can't be created by you alone. The easiest way to achieve it is through leadership displaying vulnerability, admitting flaws, showing emotions, talking about their own mental health, building that into the, the, the regular occurrences of the company. Another way is to practice what you preach. Lots of companies talk about mental health but don't actually practice those behaviors day to day that are in line with what they're saying. Um, so an example of that is, you know, you know, well, companies will plaster on their wall or they'll do an event where it talks about mental health. But then if someone needs to take a mental health day or someone's having issues or going through grief, maybe they have a family member die or something like that, you know, the company's just not receptive and they don't actually follow through and, and, and stay true to, those, true to those values. And the problem is that with that is that the second that people see you act differently than what you say, then you lose their trust across the board and you can't get it back. So if you're a manager, the best hack for creating psychological safety is to proactively think of something going, your, going on in your life that's stressing you out and just be open about it. Talk about it with your team. Be the first to raise your hand and say you're stressed or emotional or you're struggling with finances right now or you're going through you know, a lot of grief for the death of a loved one. It, I know it's hard, but like as your job as a manager, you know, it's sort of I, I think it's your responsibility to do that because that will create the psychological safety on your team and you will be surprised by what people, by what that opens up the door to in terms of team dynamics. It goes back to the interview I did with Arjun Devgan, who's the VP, global VP of CS at Amplitude. Uh, he was on the podcast uh, a couple months ago, and he spoke about having a invisible disability, which is you know that he's fully blind in one eye and, and his other eye has a lot of damage. So he's extremely sight impaired. And he faked it for a lot of his career quite successfully. But once he talked about it openly with his team, he was shocked at the number of people that were either on his team or at the company or, you know, related to people at the company that messaged him and, and said, you know, I never felt comfortable talking about this or saying this. Now I do. Thank you for doing this. And, you know, that just opened the floodgates. And so I think you'll be surprised when you start talking about the things you're, all, you're going through, you know, how much that allows the team to open up about what they're going through as well. The second factor I mentioned before is just caring less about what others think of me. And that comes from having just worked in enough shitty environments that I've developed a very take me or leave me attitude towards workplaces. Um, that was not a, a rent quote, but take it as you will. Um, you know, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like I am very straightforward about this is who I am. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I think is the right thing to do in this situation. You know, let's talk about it. You know, I'm by no means stuck in my ways or anything like that. But, you know, if I think that I need to mention that I'm heading towards burnout and, you know, you have a problem or you're not receptive to that, then it's just going to be the wrong environment for me. And 
I'm going to leave. Like, obviously, I'm never rude about it. And I don't say things like that. But my attitude and my belief is that if I can't be open and genuine at work, then I can't do my best work. And I'm someone who always wants to be doing my best work. I don't let anything get in the way of that, whether it's a, a personal issue or a professional issue or a, a health issue. Like, you owe it to yourself to be in an environment where you can be genuine and you can be yourself. And, you know, you need psychological safety to do that. And you need to be upfront about what you want and you need to be willing to walk away. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And again, I think, feel like I pointed out every week, but you know, we are so lucky that in our industry, walking away for most people in tech is, is a pretty viable option. Companies are hiring left, right, and center and salaries have gone up. Yes, that's due to inflation. Real wages have gone down. But, you know, we're in a good space where we have that luxury of saying, you know, if if I can't be in an environment where I can be my best self and do my best work, then I'm going to walk away. And and we're just, frankly, incredibly lucky to have that because there are a lot of people who do not have that luxury who are, you know, working in local environments or specialized skills or in declining industries that aren't hiring. Um, and they have to acquiesce to leadership. And that creates a toxic environment because people aren't open, which then produces worse work, which then cyclically makes the industry worse. So that like there's it's it's a whole cycle. And again, this this feeds into why we need to be prioritizing mental health and psychological safety. Like it's not just like a feel good millennial Gen Z, like I want to talk about my feelings. Like that's, that's not what it's about. If we create these environments where people are open and genuine, then they're able to do their best work. And then when people are doing their best work, the industry, it gets elevated because now you've all this amazing work coming out from this industry. And then more people join the industry and it fuels this, this cyclical thing. But again, going back to even the talk about inflation before, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. So unless you're, you're focusing on this, then, you know, it really at scale causes damage to the industry and, and leads to worse and worse outcomes for everybody. So like I said, we are definitely in a bubble. That bubble could be expanded to include more companies. We're definitely still a vast minority when it comes to, to workplaces in the country. But the direction that our culture needs to go in, which is what brings me to the good news from the study, which is 57% of respondents reported that their employer had more respect for mental health issues than they did a year ago, compared to just 8% who said it went the opposite. So we are making progress, and that is amazing to see. I think people are picking up on this, and people have had to be, have been forced to pick up on this over the last few years, just with everything that is happening. So it's great to see that this is a trend in our industry. And I'm excited to, to see where this goes. I mean, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for workplaces to continually improve. I think in some cases, we're overcorrecting. You know, and we're spending too much time focused on this stuff and people take advantage. I've spoken with leaders before who are frustrated because they're like, I want to support the mental health of my team. But, the, you know, the other day I had a team member come to me and said, I need two mental health days, you know, and they had work to do. They had stuff that needed to get done for the company. Like they didn't give them any notice. It wasn't, you know, I want to take a long weekend next weekend. Let me figure out a good co coverage plan and all that kind of stuff. It was I need the next two days off or I'm going to you know, go nuts, which is as a manager, you know, that's someone ringing the alarm bell like, OK, I, this person needs the time. off. like, let's I'm going to say yes. But at the same time, you're now having to step in to cover them or someone else on the team has to step in to do whatever they needed to do. And then that puts yourself or those other people in jeopardy. And so, you know, we need to figure out a good balance for this stuff. Yes, we have mental health days, but wherever possible, 
give as much notice, create a coverage plan, that sort of thing. Um, if it's an emergency, like, you know, then, hey, it's an emergency. Things happen. And, you know, that's where the other, the, the other important thing, which is hiring people that you can trust, right? Like, are you hiring people who, if they're saying, I need to take the next two days off for mental health, like, do you trust that, okay, uh, this person does amazing work. They're incredibly responsible and, and incredibly conscientious. If they're telling me this, then it must be serious. Yes, we'll figure it out. Take it. We'll cover it. Or are these people who maybe they're doing mediocre work or they haven't been, you know, doing such a great, a great job and you don't really trust them. And so you're like, okay, is this really necessary? Is it worth, you know, the trade-off and what we're going to have to do to cover for it? Again, these, these are hard things and hard problems that managers will have to figure out. And it goes back to what I spoke about last week and, and, and recently about, uh, you know, four-day work weeks or companies taking a full week off for PTO or sabbaticals. Like these are all great things that we should figure out, but they're not easy. They come with other problems and they rely, like none of these work if you don't trust your team. At the end of the day, like that's what everything boils down to, um, which then opens up, you know, there's a discussion about hiring. How do you hire great people and find people that you trust and build a culture where people are are open and trustworthy and that sort of thing? So, you know, there's there's so many challenges. Thank God for all the incredible HR people out there. But it's it's interesting to see where we'll go. I'm glad we're heading in this direction. And I do think that we will solve. These are all solvable issues. And I think ultimately it's worth doing the work to figure out how we can make them work. Uh, to benefit everyone, benefit our industry, and and all you know, lead towards a happier work work life balance and work culture in the future. That is it for me this week. I hope you all have an amazing rest of your week, and I will see you back soon. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe, and if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.